Some of you are like, I'm at home. I Veggie Tales brings me back, and the rest of you are like, what was that? Can you like take yourself out of knowing Veggie Tales for a second and just see that and be like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That is a fever dream. That is a not. <laughs> that is. Was anybody in here a Sunday school kid? Anybody? Yeah, I got a lot of them in here tonight. So some of you know about, you know, Bible, the basic Bible stories you get every single week. You get the same like four every single week. I know mine did. Uh, you had VeggieTales, a classic VeggieTales movie. Did anybody have felt boards? Anybody? Oh, yeah, a bunch of you. Nice. Pastor Linda has more felt board. Listen, I'm going to tell you I wanted to have one here tonight. I know. But she has more felt board material than I could even sort through. It would have taken me hours. So that's what happened there. Um, but when I was going to church, I remember, like, my family went to church, like, pretty casually at first. And I remember, like, I made my first friend at church. His name was Ryan Martz. And Ryan and I were great friends. We did Royal Rangers together. Um, we, like, neither of us really cared about Jesus very much. But we were going to church together every single week. And I remember seeing him on Sunday mornings. And he had this nice little piece of paper, a couple of pieces of paper. There were stickers. There was crayons. And I was like, what is that nice little piece of paper? I was super jealous about this little piece of paper. And the more friends I made, or, or mostly just saw Ryan hanging out with other people, I, I saw more and more of these little papers. I was like, I got to get my hands on one of those papers. What do I got to do to get to do that? Because I went to kids' church, and we never had any cool little papers. We had a great buddy, The Barrel, had some great puppet shows, but no little pieces of paper. And so the more I, uh, you know, I, I eventually found out that these little papers were from Sunday school. I was not, I did not grow up going to Sunday school. I grew up on the outside looking in at my friends going to, sun, to Sunday school, carrying around those little pieces of paper. It looked like so much fun. Um, if you, I didn't, I did eventually go in like high school, but if, if you have no idea what Sunday school is, um, if your parents had to come to church like early or they wanted to go to a class or something, they sent the children to a magical little land called Sunday school. And in Sunday school, it's where kids learn about basic Bible stories. As I mentioned, you know, you get the foundations of your faith, um, vacation Bible school. Some of you did that like in the summers where your parents just shipped you off. All day for a week is like free babysitting. It's the best for parents. Uh, and you, they, you learn the basic foundational biblical principles. Like I said, the same four stories over and over. So if you, so that's what you miss if you don't know what, what I'm talking about when I talk about Sunday school. As I grew older, and I like started to read the Bible more and uh, learn more about you know Jesus things. I found that um, the Sunday school versions of these stories had left off a lot. Right? Like, that's a pretty thick book. How do they narrow it down to four children's stories on a rotation? That doesn't make sense to me as a child. So as I read more, I was like, there's a lot more in here. And even the stuff we do cover, like, they just, like, pick and choose little pieces. Um, so that was, like, something I discovered. There's a lot more deep stuff in these stories that you could get if you look at it. So maybe you've always wondered what happens when the Veggie Tales stops at the end of that VHS. <laughs> How do those people live the rest of their lives? Or maybe you've, you've wondered what details were left out of the Sunday school version of the story to make it safe for kids. Or maybe you've never wondered any of those things. Tonight, either way, we're starting a series called Sunday School Uncensored. 
Yeah, Sunday School Uncensored. So we're going to be taking a deeper look at foundational, basic Bible stories that even if you never went to church in your life, you probably know the gist of some of these stories. Um, and we're going to see what, what what we missed when we were kids. Does that sound like fun? <laughs> Sounds like fun for me, so I'm very excited. Let's do it. I'm going to pray to get us started. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for how we can learn how to live this current life um, through the word, the instruction in your word that you wrote down so long ago, but it applies so very much to how we're living today. And, and God, I pray you anoint my mouth as I talk, and I pray that not a word that comes out of it is from me, but that you have your hands all over what happens in here tonight, because ultimately it's all about you, and uh, it would be a lot worse if I were in charge. So God, I pray that not a single person walks out of here without looking a little bit more like Jesus because of what we talk about today. It's in your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. We've talked about prophets in the past. Um, if you missed that, prophets were uh, in the Old Testament, and a prophet was the spokesperson for God. This was the person who spoke with the words of God. Since Jesus came, um, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. We talked about that in worship. Um, he speaks through anyone nowadays, but before Jesus, God assigned a person as the spokesperson for him. He was That person was the prophet. Uh, and one of those prophets, if you haven't Catched it, caught it. Yeah, if you haven't catched it already, um, we're going to be talking about one of those prophets today, and his name was Jonah. Now, a couple weeks ago, we just finished talking about Hosea. Do you remember Hosea was another one of these prophets? Uh, and just like Hosea, Jonah is a minor prophet from the Bible. And, and that's not minor in impact. He impacted the world in a major way for Jesus, but minor in the amount of story that gets told in the Bible. If you look at the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters. It's a small one piece of his story. Just like we saw Hosea, we saw one piece of Hosea's story in the Bible. We see the same thing with Jonah. So God would give these specific messages for his prophets. So Jonah gets a pretty specific message that was intense for him. It doesn't sound like a lot for us necessarily, but it meant a lot to Jonah. And that's in Jonah 1, verses 1 through 2. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Looking for a come up. God said, go to this city and tell them they're messed up. Hey guys, your lives are wrong. <laughs> like we, ha- we serve the God of the universe and he has these stuff like this way you're supposed to live and you guys are missing it. I'm really sorry, um, but you messed up. So I want to make one side note that I think is significant first. I'm already on a side note. It's going to be a great night. Um, <laughs> this is the only time in the whole Old Testament that God sends a prophet directly to a Gentile city. The only time in the whole Old Testament. That is interesting to some of you. Typically, we think of the Old Testament as, you know, the story of God speaking to his people. God dealing with the Israelites, which are God's chosen people, and how they keep messing up, and he keeps forgiving them. And that is true for most of the Old Testament. Um, but his grace, God's forgiveness, is for everyone. And that started all way back in the Old Testament. Like, people had the option to join the Israelite people, but they could also just worship God and be saved and not be an Israelite person. And we see that big principle played out in the New Testament, especially. Jesus kind of breaks some glass ceilings in that area, and he says, you know, but God's grace is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Um, that is something that's very big in the New Testament. We don't see it a lot in the Old Testament. This is the only time God directly sends a prophet to a Gentile nation. But I digress. Nineveh was a wicked city. And Jonah, the book of Jonah doesn't tell us a whole lot about Nineveh. It just says it's a wicked city and the evil has come up before the Lord. Um, 
But there are some other sources that we can kind of think about. We can see what Nineveh was like. There's some language in the book of Jonah that suggests that Nineveh was similar to a city named Sodom. You may have heard of that uh, Sodom. Sodom was another city that was considered very wicked, and it was especially wicked in like sexual sin. Sodom was messed up place. Um, and Sodom's fate eventually was to be destroyed. They got they were <laughs> they were that messed up that God said, you know, this isn't working. He wiped out the whole city because of their disobedience to him. We also know that Nineveh was the capital of a nation called Assyria. We know some things about Assyria throughout history and other parts of the Bible. And Assyria was a nation that was pretty brutal as well. Uh, notorious for like taking captive entire nations and like chopping arms off and like chopping legs out, gouging eyes. Assyria was brutal to their captives. Um, we also get a direct insight to Nineveh from a different book of the Bible, the, uh, the book of Nahum. He's another minor prophet, actually, and uh, it's a later time in the Bible. And he talks directly about Nineveh, um, and this is what it says in Nahum 3.1. Woe to the city, this is talking about Nineveh, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Whoa, whoa, Nahum. Um, so in short, Nineveh was not a godly city. It was a wicked city full of evil. People were messing up all over the place. So God sent Jonah to tell them, your time has come. He said, this is it. Nineveh is about to be destroyed. That's the message that Jonah was supposed to take to the city of Nineveh. However, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. If you are familiar with the story at all, you kind of know where we're headed. So Jonah hopped on a boat to, uh, that was headed for the city of Tarshish. And Tarshish was about as far away from Nineveh as you could have gotten at the time, basically. In fact, I have a little map here of the two cities. Um, now, travel was a little bit different at the time. They didn't have planes or trains or anything like that. So the world was a lot smaller. So a boat was the fastest way to travel. Can you bring up that map there? Um, a boat was your fastest means of travel. And you can see... Here is where uh, Jonah starts in Jerusalem. None of his way back here. This is his plan <laughs> to get to Tarshish. Now, like, boat was the fastest way to travel. So, like, the Mediterranean Sea was, like, so far, like, so huge to the ancient Near Eastern people. Their world was small because they couldn't, like, get on social media and see what's up in China. Like, they couldn't do that. <laughs> so, they didn't know much of the world. You didn't leave your hometown. And Jonah is headed for about, it's on the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, but to the people, it's basically the other end of the world. In fact, if you look up, just Google map of the ancient Near East, it's going to stop about here. Because this is like all the people knew <laughs> back there. You're going to see this question mark here by Tarshish. Because we're guessing as far as the exact goes. Like we know it's in that region. But like we, they don't even know that much about the city because it was that far away. So our records don't even ch show us exactly where Tarshish is. That's how distance, distant these two cities were. So Jonah wanted to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could, as quickly as he possibly could. So he got on this boat. So here's the problem that Jonah was having. Now, does anybody else like you had a, a I told you so moment? Do you like that? Am I the only one? I'm a bad person. I know. Like, you know, you give somebody advice, they don't listen to your advice, and then they pay for it. And you're like, mm, I told you so. Me, I don't even like to say it, because that's mean. You don't want to be like that guy. But, but like, the feeling on the inside is reward enough, you know? Like, mm, I told them so. Now, it doesn't even have to be you giving advice, but, like, when we see justice, we have this, like, sick sense of satisfaction. Somebody should have just known better. 
and they did it anyway, and they messed up, and now they're going to pay the consequences. And that just like feels good. It's not a good thing. <laughs> we should not delight in other people's misery. But we get a sixth sense. I do anyway. I should just speak for myself. Uh, we talked uh, weeks ago in Relentless Love about Gomer leaving her husband, Hosea. And we talked about how we want justice for Hosea. Gomer messed up, and we want to see justice. We want to see people pay for their actions that are incorrect. We want to see justice. So this is what's going through the mind of Jonah at this point. He knew um, that well, he knew what was going on in Nineveh. Like the city had a reputation, and he wanted to see them pay for it. He wanted to see the justice. Now, when I heard the city as a child, when I saw the VeggieTales movie, um, I, it was communicated to me, and I may have just missed something, but I always grew up thinking that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid what would happen to him there. It was so evil that he might just get like trampled in the streets or like just murderers just waving knives around. You know, that was like my picture of Nineveh, uh, or in the Vigitales just like slapping each other with fish, right? And that's what Jonah was afraid of. Um, but it turns out <laughs> that's not in the Bible at all. Um, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. So um, Jonah reveals later that he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid that if he went and told them what God was going to destroy their city because they were disobedient to him, that they were going to repent and get out of God's judgment. And Jonah didn't want to see that. Jonah wanted to see justice so badly that he did not want to take this message of hope to Nineveh because he wanted to see justice in Nineveh. So if you know the story well at all, you know Jonah's resistance is futile. Um, he doesn't get too far into his boat ride before this huge, God sends this mega storm over the boat in the Mediterranean Sea. This storm could destroy a boat, and these sailors knew it. Now, the sailors were freaking out about this storm. They started throwing cargo over the, overboard because, like, that's money. Like, that's why they're on the boat. So that's a big deal. If they start throwing cargo overboard, you know, this storm should be taken seriously. So um, they're freaking out, and these pirates, they say pirates are superstitious. I don't know. They're pirates, per se. That's how I picture it, uh, probably because of VeggieTales. But they say pirates are superstitious. I learned that from Upper Treasure Island. You can consider that source however you'd like. But in this case, this ship was full of spiritual people. <laughs> um, not like necessarily godly, but at least when their lives were in danger, they started calling out to their gods, their respective gods, whoever they worshipped or whatever they heard because you know people that were on the sea were traveling all over the place. So they just started praying to whoever they'd heard of. And so this was like going on above deck. Um, trying to get, you know, relief because they saw how bad the storm was and they were like, this is our last hope. We just got to pray. That's all we got left. Uh, but our boy Jonah was below deck taking a really serious nap. I don't know how he was sleeping through this storm that was about to kill them all, but he was asleep. Um, the sailors the sailors are freaking out and trying to figure out why this storm is happening. Are they being punished? Like, what's going on? And it was suspicious to the sailors that Jonah was <laughs> below deck sleeping. So they go to wake him up and they say, dude, would you get up here and pray? Because whoever we're praying to isn't listening. So get up here, help us out, do something. So the sailors, they get Jonah up on board and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to, they call it casting lots in the Bible. It was the equivalent of drawing straws, basically. You know, you have as many people as there are straws and one of the straws is shorter and you all pick straws and whoever gets the short one has to do whatever the thing is. So they were like, all right, we're going to cast lots. We're going to draw straws and whoever gets the short straw 
they're the one that's responsible for the storm. Now, this sounds pretty far-fetched, but like that's how superstitious or you know spiritual these people were. They said, all right, we're just going to put it in the hands of the straws. Whoever drew the short straw, it was their fault. So they draw shorts, and guess who gets the short straw? Jonah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, the God of the lot, they say, because he uh, was communicating through drawing straws and they found that Jonah was the one causing the storm. So they start interrogating Jonah. They say, who is, uh, why are you responsible for this? What kind of business are you in? What nation are you from? What people group are you from? Where do you live? They like interrogate him trying to figure out how he is causing the storm. Now, Jonah fessed up. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Uh, And when Jonah bought his ticket, he had told a story about how some prophecy or running from something or whatever, but the sailors had heard the story of running from something, so they didn't really pay attention to it. But at this point, when their lives are in danger, they start connecting the dots. They're like, oh no, this guy said he was running from God, and now we're in this storm that's about to kill us all. Maybe it's his fault. They put it all together, and we've identified that it's Jonah's running from God that is causing the storm. And the sailors say, if we do nothing, we're all going to die. It's going to rip apart the boat and it's over for us. So the sailors say to Jonah, what do we do? You're the prophet. It's, I mean, it is your fault. Like you're probably a bad prophet, but like you are the one talking to God. So what should we do to take care of this? Now, I hope that as you spend time at Apex, you're going to do this more instinctively. Um, but I hope you're starting to look for Jesus in stories like this. Look for you know things that, that remind you of Jesus. You may have already thought that when he was sleeping below deck. Jesus fell asleep on boats a lot, so that's something. Um, but keep listening here during this part. Jonah says, you know what? There's no reason for us all to go down, so I'm going to give myself to save the rest of you. So Jonah says, you know what? Just pick me up. I don't know, they didn't have a plank, I guess, because he says, pick me up, throw me overboard, and it's going to be okay. Now, the sailors didn't want to do that, because they weren't murderers, especially like in the sight of God. They're like, they're like, God, please forgive us, because like, this guy's telling us to kill us, but that doesn't sound right, um, so help us, just help us make the right decision. Um, so these guys are praying to the right God all of a sudden, and this is really amazing. They try to row to the shore, and they can't, so like, all right. We're going to throw the prophet of God overboard. It still sounds like a bad idea, but they do it. And almost instantly, the, the clouds clear, the storm is gone. I don't know. I remember this one in the Jonah movie in Veggie Tales. Like, it's just like instant. And like, they're like, oh, I guess that was it, huh? And so, uh, before Jonah could even drown, before the boat gets out of view, um, they, this whale or a big fish, the Bible says, I don't know what kind of fish it is. Don't grill me on that. Um, but this big fish comes and swallows Jonah. That's the end of the story. Jonah's dead. He's in the belly of a whale digested. That's it. That's not it. Yeah, he could be digested at this point. Um, Jonah actually lives in this whale for three days and three nights. I hope you're hearing those Jesus bells. Three days and three nights, Jonah is in the belly of the whale. And in the whale, Jonah prays a big prayer. And this is all of Jonah 2. Jonah chapter 2 is this prayer. And Jonah is crying out to God. He says, I know I messed up. I know you're the one that saved me. And so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do what you've asked me to do. So please forgive me. I hope you give me another shot. Luckily, we serve the God of second chances. So Jonah 2, the last verse of Jonah 2, it says this, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up. That's a great word picture there. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That amen is me. Amen. Vomited in the, it's right in the Bible. Amen. That's me. That's not in the Bible. So 
This brings us back to Jonah 3, or brings us next to Jonah chapter 3. And we finally see Jonah doing what God asked him to do. Finally, we see an obedient Jonah. Um, so Nineveh was huge. So Jonah gets to Nineveh, and he spends three whole days walking through Nineveh and giving this message of destruction. <laughs> so he's walking through Nineveh, and this is what God said to say. He said, you guys got 40 days. This place is going to be leveled. 40 days, and, and God, because of the evil in the city, God's going to level it. And so, uh, there's no hope in this message. <laughs> I think that's important to note. He doesn't say, like, you got 40 days to get your act together, and maybe God will forgive you. No, he just says 40 days, boom. 40 days, boom. That's it. You guys are done. So, um, the Ninevites heard this message of judgment, and they believed everything that Jonah said. They feared God. Uh, I forgot to mention, the sailors also saw this miracle before their eyes and, and worshiped and prayed and sacrificed on the boat. This whole sailor, this boat of sailors was converted because of what happened to Jonah. Um, so we get to Nineveh and we see the people of Nineveh believe Jonah's message of judgment. They say, all right, you know, we're right. And you're right. Eventually this message made it to the king of, of Assyria. And he, this whole nation was commanded to put down your evil ways. <laughs> this is it. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to like, you know, if you know Bible language, we're going to like put on sackcloth and the ashes and like a, a, a mourning period. This is it. We're going to beg God for forgiveness. The king says in Jonah 3, 9, this is so cool because Jonah didn't say this. The king says this in Jonah 3, 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? I think that's pretty cool that they didn't know much about the God of the Hebrews. Basically only what Jonah told them in stories they heard about the God of the Hebrews. But they decided there was a chance. If they turned their lives around, there was a chance that God would forgive them. Who knows? It's our best shot of surviving. So the king says, let's give it a shot. Sure enough, the Ninevites cleaned themselves up. They fasted, they prayed, they repented, so, so important, and they turned from their wicked ways. The evil in Nineveh stopped for the most part. The evil in Nineveh stopped, and Jonah lost his mind. Because if you remember why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, because like he didn't want to tell the Ninevites about God destroying the place, because he was afraid the Ninevites would repent. He was afraid they'd repent, and God would change his mind, and never mind, I'm not going to level the city. And that's exactly, exactly what happened. Jonah's not happy. Because God... Um, forgave the Ninevites, no matter how much evil was happening. God forgave the Ninevites. Um, he had every right to destroy the city because they were ungodly. They were not, at this point, they had been given a message of judgment. They knew who God of the Hebrews was and they listened to it. So God forgave them. I think that's so cool. He had mercy on them and Jonah was not happy about it. <laughs> I think it's really ironic. Another side note that God gave this instruction to Jonah uh, and Jonah immediately disobeyed he immediately rebelled. He immediately ran from God's plan, God's call, God's instruction. God gave an instruction to the Ninevites, a Gentile evil city, and they immediately uh, repented. They immediately said, you're right. Please forgive us. They turned from their wicked ways. I think that's pretty beautiful. 
Nineveh repents, and God decides not to destroy the city in judgment. Uh, and Jonah throws a temper tantrum. He angry prays. Have you ever angry prayed? I know that a lot of you can relate to that. Most of us in here probably have. Um, in Jonah four four, it says this. Um, no, right before Jonah four four, God or Jonah angry prays. He says, "How can you do this? How can you forgive them? They deserve judgment. They messed up." And then Jonah four four. But the Lord replied, "Is it right for you to be angry?" This is what we call a rhetorical question, folks. Don't answer questions like this. (laughs) Is it right for you to be angry? The answer is, of course not. Why in the world would it be okay for Jonah to be angry about God showing mercy? Now, that may, you know, trigger some other thoughts in your mind about the prodigal son. We see in in the book of Luke, in the New Testament of the Bible, way later in the Bible, we see this man's son betray his family, leave his family, squander his wealth, and then come come crawling back, repenting. Uh, And his brother's like, Dad, are you really going to forgive this kid? Are you really going to put all that? Are you really going to look the other way? Is that really the way to go? That's exactly what Jonah is doing. Jonah is angry about God's compassion. So at this point, Jonah storms off, um, and God decides to give him a little bit of an object lesson. So Jonah fashions this little shelter for himself, probably like a tent-like situation. He sits down um, where he can see the city of Nineveh. Like with a clear view, you know, he's got his beach towel. He lays like an umbrella because he's in the desert. It's going to be hot. So he's like laying there and he's making sure he can see the city because he's really, he's like waiting for the boom. Jonah is hoping (laughs) that God levels the city. And it sounds crazy. Um, Jonah's watching the city. And keep in mind, we're in a desert, so it's hot. And so God actually sends this plant He's like, all right, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. So he, he grows this plant overnight, and like the plant that they think, it, like the historians, based on the area and the season and all that nonsense, they say it was probably a castor oil plant, which gets to like, it can get up to like 15 feet tall. It's like a huge, huge plant, two to three foot leaves, like a really big deal that would give you a lot of shade, like a lot of vegetation, a lot of shade. Um, so, and because shade under a tree is better than shade under a building, right? You know what that's like shade under a tree. You know, there's like moisture. I don't know how it works exactly scientifically, but under a plant is better. God is improving Jonah's shade overnight. He grows this plant. Jonah's relaxing. He's waiting for the boom. Uh, in the shade now. Now, another day goes by, and that night, God sends a worm to eat the plant. And overnight, this worm eats enough of this plant that it withers and dies. And Jonah's like, he wakes up, he's like, what? Where did the plant, the thing go? I was in shade, I was very comfortable. Like, you're really taking me off up there, man. Like, what, are you going to get one of these things right? So Jonah throws another hissy fit. Um, he's very upset about losing his plant. That And this plant, all it did was provide him a little comfort. Like, it didn't take much for Jonah to get set off at this point. (laughs) So he's lost his plant, and he's, like, angry praying again. He's like, God, what are you doing out there? To the point (laughs) where he says, I don't want to live anymore. Like, this isn't the first time Jonah has been this dramatic. He was kind of a drama queen. But he said, I, like, it would be better for me to die than live in a world where I'm this hot. I can relate a little bit after that comes out of my mouth. But like Jonah was like, I would rather die. Everything's going wrong. This is messed up. Um, don't you love that God uses imperfect people? We talk about that a lot in here. Jonah's messed up, but he's the prophet of God. And I think that's pretty significant. Um, God uses imperfect people, and that makes me eligible to be used by God. Another side note. Could we get a little background music situation over there? 
So this is where God is about to teach Jonah a lesson. Put that slide up before you uh, go to the music there. Jonah 4.10 says this. This is where God's going to wrap it all together. He's going to put it all, lay it all down for him. He says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, although you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I, should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? God is saying, you care so much about this plant. All this plant did was give you a little bit of comfort. You didn't create this plant. You didn't make this plant. You didn't have any part of making this plant happen. And you're so upset that this plant died. Now he says to Jonah, think about this city. The city that you are waiting to explode with 120,000 people in it. I created these people. I love these people. I love them so much that I'm going to come and die for these people. Now, he didn't say that part, but I bet he was thinking it. I love these people so much. And God's saying, how can you not care about this entire city of people? You get more upset with the loss of this plant than Nineveh. And that's messed up. God says, you got to get your priorities straight. Now, there's two things that I see here that this story is communicating. First, it says to me that this is about it. This is the whole book of Jonah, basically. So the first thing I think it communicates is that God cares about the lost. God cares so much. He spends the whole Old Testament trying to reach his people. They were the first lost. (laughs) And he spends the whole Old Testament trying to teach them, trying to reach after them. God cares so much about the lost. Even despite how many times the Israelites messed up, even when they were unfaithful, God was faithful to them. Over and over and over again, he continues to have grace and mercy. He's the God of second chances. If you saw that Jonah movie, Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and then this asparagus choir comes out of nowhere and sings a song about how we serve the God of second chances. In the book of Jonah, we see that, that God, his love and care extends to the Gentiles even. We see him care about the city of Nineveh, who's evil, not God's chosen people, a Gentile city. Gentile, basically the Jews were the Jews. We were the Hebrew people. They had like four names for themselves. We we're the Hebrew people, we we're the Israelites, we we're the Jewish people. And they had one name for everyone else in the world. It was Gentile. It was a dirty word. You guys are less than us. You guys are not as good as us. And I don't know uh, if Jonah only wanted to share, you know, the truth of God's hope with just the Israelites or if he didn't care to share it with anyone because that just kind of was an attitude that happened in the Israelite people. But God cared so much about Ninevites. He cared so much about Pittston Area School District. He cares so much about your math class, your math teacher even, believe it or not. Especially if it's your mom. (laughs) No. (laughs) Listen, God cares so much about the lost people in the world. He wants us to care about it too. This is the second truth. God cares so much about the lost. We should care about the lost too. This whole book of Jonah is about how Jonah doesn't care about the city of Nineveh. It's crazy. He had no interest in telling them about the hope of Jesus because they might get saved. We wouldn't want that to happen, right? He didn't want to show God's mercy and grace to the city of Nineveh. But God cares for the lost, and we should be mirroring that care for lost people. Uh, Jonah 
had some messed up priorities. You know, he mourned the loss of this plant that was just giving him a little comfort. It was giving him a little bit of shade. And he had trouble seeing why God cared so much about this city of 120,000 people. Clearly something is wrong here. And I think it would be easy for us to judge Jonah and say, that's messed up, man. That's wrong. That's clearly wrong. I don't understand how you could possibly think that. But before you do, I mean, I'm tempted to do that. But before you do that, think about how many things are more important to you than seeing people come to Jesus. How many things upset you more than knowing people are going to hell every day? That might sound a little dramatic, but it's that's what this story is teaching us. <laughs> Get your priorities straight. How many things upset you more than the fact that there are people going to hell? Are you just waiting in a chair, in a beach chair overlooking your school, waiting for judgment to happen? And maybe even you're not like hoping, but are you just sitting in a chair waiting, watching? The theme that we learned about Jonah in Sunday school was compassion. That's not going to (laughs) change. We went a little deeper. We saw a couple more details. But the theme of the story of Jonah is compassion. Jonah has none. (laughs) But God cares about the lost. It's this story is about God's compassion. It's still about the people in the world that God wants to have compassion on. But first, before he can, I mean, he has compassion on them, but they don't know that. And before they can accept God's compassion, accept the sacrifice of Jesus, God's sending a messenger to them. Just like he sent Jonah to the Ninevites, he is sending us, he's sending you and me to deliver a message of joy and hope and peace and love to the people in our lives. So don't run the other way. Don't catch a boat to Tarshish. God has a message for the people in your school, the people that you interact with on the internet, the people that you see in the grocery store. God has a message for everyone in your life. So be obedient to that call. Be obedient to the call that God has to share that message with the people around you. And that's a lot easier than we often make it out to be or think it up to be. Um, It might be as easy as inviting a friend to church, a friend that you're like, they'll say no. (laughs) Like there's been research done and it's in the 90% of people that say, somebody invited me to go to church, I'll go. It's like really high. I'm going to take back that 90 because I'm not sure enough, but I'm pretty sure. It's like really high percentages. Just asking people to go to church. People say yes. Some of you have done that and it's been so successful. And this room has gotten more people in it because of your efforts. Some of you have invited people to church and they said no. And you might have to ask twice. But guess what? Sometimes you're going to ask twice and thrice, etc. And they're never going to say yes. And that's okay because your job is to extend the invitation. Jonah's job was to walk through the city of Nineveh and give a message. He had no control over how the Ninevites were going to respond to that message. You have no control over how someone's going to respond to an invitation. And that goes for this room too. When we're showing people that Apex Students is the friendliest place on earth, all you can do is make an invitation. All you can do is say, hey, do you need someone to sit by? Maybe they'll say yes and feel very comfortable. Maybe they say no, but they still feel welcomed. There's nothing you can do to make people respond a certain way. All you It's your job to extend the invitation. 
carrying God's message into your life, it may be as easy as casually telling someone about your walk with Christ. When you earn the right to like tell somebody about Jesus, you put in the work of making a friend. You know, you have someone in your life that you're investing in. You're talking to, um, maybe not even about spiritual things yet, but casually introducing Christ into your conversations is one of the best ways to start this faith conversation. When someone says, that sounds terrible. Your, your grandmother's in the hospital or, you know, your parents fight all the time. I, I, I know what's going on in your life, but you're like, okay, how is that? How are you okay? You have the opportunity to say, you know, I, I know the stuff in my life is like not going super well, but like I go to church and I pray a lot and I think that God comforts people that are brokenhearted because that's what the Bible says. It's, it can be that easy. And that didn't sound over spiritual, right? That doesn't sound like I went to 10 years of Bible college. That sounds like I have a friend that I can turn to in times of need. And when you casually make that part of your conversation, part of your daily life, it's a great way to extend God's message to the people around you. You might be able to answer someone's question about God. So they say, you know what? Like, why did God in the Old Testament do this? Or like, why, what in the New Testament? I've heard these different stories. How does this all add up? Maybe you can answer that question. Or maybe you can say, I don't know, but like, come come to church with me and we'll maybe we'll ask somebody. We'll ask one of the Apex staff people and they might have an answer. And maybe they won't. And maybe they'll come to me. And like, maybe I won't. <laughs> but guess what? We're all going to learn together. We're all going to get closer at the very least, you brought somebody to church, even if you didn't answer a question. It can be that easy. And you're probably going to be hearing this stuff more and more into the future because as Apex students is looking forward, we're looking outward. As we, you know, as time moves on, my heart, and, and I hope that I can convince your heart, and, and if you're reading the Bible, God will convince your heart that outward is so, so important. What goes on on the outside of these walls when you are only in here for two hours a week? What happens on the outside of these walls is so, so important. And I'm going to continue to encourage you to have faith-filled conversations, Christ-centered conversations. That doesn't mean that every conversation you have is about how much you pray, but it just means that you are able to casually bring up Jesus and tell people that it's a part of your life. And through that, you're going to witness to them. You're going to carry God's message of hope with the way you live your life and just the way you talk. And you can suggest somebody prays. You can say, man, I know that you're going through something crazy. Have you ever tried praying before? Have you ever gone to church before? Because if you need help, I'd love to help you with that. It's, it's that easy. We make it out to be this huge thing. But you can be used by God, and it's that easy. As we move forward talking more and more about this stuff, we, we had a serve fair not too long ago, and we said, we need your seat. You're, you're joining serve teams to make this apex thing happen for other people as they come into the family. <laughs> we want you to make this happen for others. We need your seat. So join the team of sharing God's message. Our, our team, our family has a mission, and that's to share God's message with people who are lost. Because God cares about the lost, and we should care about the lost too. So you're going to hear more and more about that in your small groups tonight. You're going to be talking a little bit about that, that kind of stuff as well. So I'm going to pray over those conversations, uh, and then we're going to move into small groups. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is timeless. 
Your word that was written long ago, but has so much implication for our daily lives. Your word that we heard about as a child, and we can still learn more from it. The same story today, God. Thank you for your word. I pray that as we move into small group conversation, that you are opening hearts, that you are helping people see, um, helping people discover how they can share your message with the people around them. Help us to interact with the story. Help us to interact with people in our small groups, God. Help us to grow closer together as we're growing closer to you. Bless our conversation. Bless our leaders and every student in this room. We love you and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.